Good morning. I'm your host, Claudia Shamba, welcoming you to the February 12, 2018 edition of Ask a Leader. We're heading into a many a special election with vacancies all over the country. Now would be a good time to consult your county's Registrar of Voters website to see what's happening in your neighborhood. No election is too small, right, listeners? KUCI is located in the Orange County Board of Supervisors 3rd District, and we're having an election on March 12th, and Ask a Leader will be covering it for you. The folks uh, who divvy up the power and the money are all over this process, I assure you. Just because it's nonpartisan doesn't mean it's partisan. Listen and watch for my announcements on all my platforms. The Article 5 Convention Watch did come up at last weekend's UCI's Forum for the Academy and the Public covering climate emergencies. And um, I just want to, for those of you who are wondering, what were those women at the State of the Union, the congressional members, wearing? There's a, an, a button of a young girl's image. Well, that was, if you were wondering, um, that was Jacqueline Makin, uh, who died on December 8th from septic shock and cardiac arrest in the custody of the U.S. Border Patrol. Maybe you already knew that. I just thought I'd mention that since there were some questions about that. Today, because elections matter, we begin our coverage of candidates who've filed to run in the March 12th special election for the Orange County Board of Supervisors, District 3. Former Congresswoman Loretta Sanchez will be the first candidate. Details about this special election are available at ocvote.gov. And in the second half, Kathy Orlinski and Dana Leslie of the Citizens Climate Lobby will present 2019 Citizens Climate Lobby Southern California Regional Conference Program February to 23rd, the 24th, on the Cal State LA campus. And this program is entitled 2019 The Tipping Point. We'll talk about their compelling themes and guests. We'll be right back after a short station break with Loretta Sanchez. In the run-up to the March 12th special election to fill the seat in the 3rd District of Orange County's Board of Supervisors, vacated by Todd Spitzer being elected Orange County's District Attorney, we shall be hearing from as many of the seven candidates who filed as possible. The first one we have a sit-down with is Loretta Sanchez, formerly a congresswoman representing the 46th and remapped the 47th District. Orange County. Ms. Sanchez completed her undergraduate degree in economics at Chapman University, where she now serves on the Board of Trustees, and she earned her MBA from American University and her IFAP in Rome. She was Harvard University 2018 Advanced Leadership Fellow and developed housing and a second chance young adult vocational program for Orange County. Her first professional position after receiving her MBA was project finance and analysis for Orange County Transportation Authority. Then she worked in the financial markets at for Booz Allen and Hamilton as a strategist. Over her 20 years in the U.S. Congress, she served on the Armed Services Committee and the Homeland Security Committee, along with the attendant subcommittees. 
Following her retirement in 2017, she's been involved in finance, building a permanent apartment complex for homeless women in Orange County, mentoring young candidates for public office, and consulting on business development and trade issues. Her last appearance on this show was at the time when Gabriella Giffords was surviving her shooting. They were both the Blue Dog Democrats at, in caucuses in the Congress at that time. Loretta Sanchez joins me in studio. Welcome back to Ask a Leader. Thank you so much, Claudia. It's a pleasure always to be here on the UCI campus. Well, thank you. So Irvine, the city of, has dominated the third county board of supervisor district, and there's many things associated with that. Some say that the third district has been beholden to Irvine for the last many years. How do you see, you are a resident of the city of Orange where you were able to serve as the congresswoman from that and then still remain in the third district. How do you see what your leadership role would be in managing all the municipalities and the unincorporated areas of the third district? Well, remember that uh, I'm a candidate who has represented many cities at once. And many of the times, uh, the council people from those cities actually call me, sometimes even amongst themselves on the city council and sometimes with respect to other cities. And they've always said, Loretta, you're the one that can get us in a room and can help us hash out what it is that we need to get done. So when they've had even conflicts, they've called and said, um, can you help? And, and I see that as one of the basic roles of this supervisor's district. For example, um, Irvine has sued the county over and over on different issues. So there's a lot of money that gets spent in litigation between the county and the city of Irvine. Wouldn't it be nice if we had someone who wasn't so fast to jump to sue and said, come on guys, let's sit down and let's figure out what it is we really need to do. Because I always believe that if you listen to the other person or the other group, that you can come to a win-win solution without having to go into court. Do you have any ballpark estimate of how many resources, how much money has gone into litigation between the city of Irvine and the Orange County? It's in the millions. It's in the millions. I haven't counted it. But the answer is there's so very, there's so very few dollars, in particular with respect to the County of Orange. So the County of Orange has about a $6 billion budget. But most of that money comes as pass-throughs from other um, governments and propositions, et cetera, federal government, state government. And so the real budget that the supervisors really have control over is about $820 million a year. Well, if you're spending, so, so that's, that's important to note because that's what really gets us to do the projects we need to do to make Orange County come into the new uh, future um, as a county. And if we're spending it on lawsuits, then not only are we wasting time, but we're wasting the money. And in the same way, Irvine if they didn't have to litigate all the time, if they weren't so fast to litigate, then they could use that to hard-earned taxpayers' dollars to actually work on uh, making sure that we have the library, for example, that we the new county library that uh, we we have said we want to put in in Irvine. These types of issues, which are so very important to our families in that city 
and in the district. So a supervisor can't just say, oh, I'm from Irvine, and so Irvine people vote for me, and um, and, and that way I'll become the supervisor, and I'm just going to look at the interests of this city. No, 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 no. The supervisor represents your Belinda, Villa Park, a large part of Anaheim, um, most of Orange, um, all of the unincorporated areas, the canyon areas, etc., are wilderness areas, if you will, Tustin, and most of Irvine. So they cannot be partial to one city. They have to look at each of the issues that comes up and say, and, and really be the Sol- Solomon, if you will, the, the one that really says, how do we get to a win-win? So the emergency housing and the affordable housing, well, let's just leave it to the emergency housing aspect, which was a big red meat item that the predecessor for the, holding the Board of Supervisors seat in 3rd District. Briefly, what were you involved with? As you were saying, you're, you've been in touch with a lot of the municipalities as a former congressperson, or as a congressperson, but in more extensive detail, what do you want to lead with in providing the fair share of the third district's afford of emergency housing? So, because that's only that well, is there, only going to open up. There are two issues there that you're really talking about. One is the issue of the housing crisis that we have throughout California, and um, one of the reasons that we have had homeless on the streets is because of the housing um, recession that we had, and people have not been able to get back from that, and now the housing crisis, more people needing a place to live that might exist, meaning that the prices of rents are so high or the cost of a home is so high. So the first is housing is a part of the homeless picture. But the second piece to that is the mental illness issue. Okay, so one of the problems that we have, for example, we passed, and I was the only vote cast out of Orange County for the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare. And that said that if you, we want everybody to have a health care policy. We want you to have a health care policy so you can go and see the doctor before you get sick so that we know or that we can figure out if you are sick and we can do preventive care or care up front rather than at the end when you come to the highest cost place, which is the emergency hospital. So what we did was the federal government and the state government, 3% from the state, 97% from the federal government, send the monies for every single insurance policy for our poor and our indigent and our working poor, those people who don't have a health care policy. That's a big flood of money into Orange County. And so Patrick Kennedy, who was a Congress member at the time I was there, he wanted to pass a bill called the Mental Health Parity Bill. And I helped him to pass it. And what that said is, if you have a health care plan, physical health care plan, it must also include, on parity, a mental health care to that. Right, so that was that's a big a re- deal. That's a requirement. That's, that is the federal law. Here's the problem. Mental health services are dictated through the county supervisors. The county actually takes a big piece of the mental health picture. And they didn't implement accessibility. 
So what would you do that. with that? Because we're, we're aware of that pot of money that wasn't moving Absolutely. anywhere. So you're we need in to the, have, the board yes. serving. So what do you do with that so, day one? So the first thing you do is to ensure that Caloptima, which is the health care plan for the poor, indigent, and the working class poor, the ones who don't have health care plans, but they have subsidized through Obamacare now into that program, that we actually set up mental health programs and that we actually uh, put in a, in into play in conjunction with our universities and our community colleges and our clinics for example to put in mental health programs to make more mental health professionals we're also uh, I'm also cognizant that we don't have enough of that and we put those mental health services in place we certainly have the money to do it the third piece of that whole homelessness issue Again, housing shortage, mental health parity. The third piece is not enough addiction beds. So when you're out on the street, homeless, it ends up that you're probably going to become addicted also. And we need to have these services available. You cannot just build a place and put a homeless person in it. You have to have what we call these wraparound services, help with addiction, help with mental health issues. If, if you lived long enough on the street night by night, you would end up having some mental health crisis. I mean, that's just the truth of the matter. So let me tell you, for example, you know, I'm retired. I'm retired from the Congress. What have I been doing with my time? One of the things I've been doing for free. No one's paying me to do it. But I saw the homeless situation on that Santa Ana River Red because I live near it. And I said, we have to do something. Now, did you visit that with the judge? Now, now, people would say to me, oh, I, I know Judge Carter a did long you, but way. But did you visit it? Uh, I've, I've been down there. Okay. I've been down there to them. But it's not about visiting. Okay? It's not about visiting. But what do we do? So people would stop me and they'd say, Congresswoman, what can we do about this? Because people are genuine, genuinely concerned. And I would say, look, I don't have a solution for the whole thing, but I'm going to tell you what I've been doing. I am raising the funds. I'm a co-chair, to, and we're raising the funds to build a permanent apartment building with 30 micro units to house unaccompanied homeless women. We've been raising the money. We're going to uh, break ground in September. The unaccompanied homeless woman, the woman by herself out on the street, is the most vulnerable person on the street. Okay? And I'm going to tell you something. These women, about 30% of them, are over 65. Oh, really? Okay, that's uh, another detail. Think about that. Put that in my tabulation. Think wow. about that. Women who have outlived their savings, women whose husbands died early and didn't leave enough for them, they were homemakers maybe. They didn't have the skill set. They get back into the working world. They're making minimum wage. You can't afford an apartment on minimum wage. You know, women whose children, for whatever reason, don't want to have to deal with mom. I've also seen that. So that's a large part. But we also have students. We have students here at UC Irvine who live in their car. That is called homelessness. Okay, so we've had, I'm working with Wise Place and the only reason we're not building yet is because when Judge Carter said to the county, you have to move these people into motels or another situation, Wise Place, this place where we're raising the money for, actually took in 90 women off the riverbed. 
and they are in the building that we are going to turn into apartments. Um, so that is with a contract with the county through September. So, you know, others can talk about homelessness, but I've actually been doing something about it and doing it for free. Okay. So for those of you who've just joined us, my guest is Loretta Sanchez, former congresswoman representing Orange County 46th, mainly the 47th district, now seeking election to the recently vacated 3rd district of the Orange County Board of Supervisors. March 12 is the election date. Stay tuned on KUCI for all the Orange County Registrar voters information on deadlines, including early voting, which is going to be, and there's pop-ups too, we'll talk about that, at other platforms. Well, there's a, a housing share. I, we're not going to be able to get a chance to go to that because I've got so many other things. It's going to turn this interview into a lightning round. So I wanted to know what are you going to do in the absence of national federal leadership? Well, it's beginning to change a little bit, but on national leadership uh, where local governments are taking up the charge for climate change, climate damage, what are you interested in doing in the Orange County government level with respect to some of the climate action and the community energy picture, like what San Diego is moving on, and they're moving on it on all unincorporated and incorporated fronts. Sure. Absolutely. Thank you for asking that question. Well, you know, I'm the only candidate in the race that has been endorsed by the Sierra Club and by the California League of Conservation Voters. So they know my record in the Congress of having worked on climate change and these issues. Uh, some of the things we've done, for example, with respect to climate change, probably nobody here knows it, but at UC Irvine, we actually have the water model for the world of how the rising sea levels will take and affect and obliterate certain countries, for example. So we have a very strong um, UC Irvine presence in the climate change world. And I brought back those funds to build that institute here, as we did for a lot of other institutes here at UC Irvine. Uh, the Beckman Institute has the federal funds to it, the Mind Institute here. But what are you going to yeah. do uh, serving on the Board of Supervisors sure. with the, the community choice energy and the climate action that sure. they're being adopted? To, uh, Irvine's been hearing it, and they're sort of in the interim with some of the... Uh, the testing so sure well you know we we have a lot of energy resources that we can change and we are moving our housing stock over into solar for example we're working in orange county with um uh, imperial county and riverside county with respect to wind energy we had a big problem we shut down our nuclear power station here in um in, in the southern portion of our county. And aside from, you know, working on the damage from that, it's a good thing that it's shut down. But we're going to have to take up more energy because that has come offline. So uh, a big push, we can do a big push from the county with respect to solar and to wind it, and, and actually for individual homes. I, I think there's a big wave coming on that. Well, there's also another opportunity to deal with some of the footprints, the energy footprints with the land use decisions that the, the county can make in unincorporated areas. And there's at the transportation center, there are unincorporated areas that are apparently there's a, a direction away from transportation-related, denser sorts of uses uh, around the transportation center? Well, it, you know, the, the county, all of the county supervisors work with the Orange County Transportation Authority. 
And remember that I started my career here yeah, in Orange in County in out, of, um, out of MBA school in transportation planning. So I have a really good idea. You know, one of the things that we need, one of the unfortunate things, you know, as much as I know a lot of students, for example, in UC Irvine, love Uber and Lyft, the fact of the matter is that we've actually created more cars on it's more the congestion. road. Yep. There's more congestion from that. And so we have to really look at what does a good mass transit system look like for Orange County? I know that in the 20 years I was in the Congress, I funded a metro system for Orange County twice. And once it was knocked down at the local level by the city of Santa Ana and Anaheim, and the second time it was knocked down by Chris Cox of Irvine, who was a Congress member. Otherwise, we would have had a whole metro system done in Orange County by now. So now we have to look at other methods of how we're going to move these people between work and home, especially for for people who don't make enough money. And that's one of the issues that I want to work on. Either institute a, a fast bus system where you only wait for five minutes between buses, for example, instead of the hour you currently have. Uh, that would be very important to entice someone like me or even a worker to really take the bus system in Orange County. Does that include some of, was, was it called the uh, the rubber, the rubber bumper? The, there was like the intermediate kind of transit between buses and like to get you to that last mile which is always the hardest yeah the last mile is always the hardest you know but it would be nice for if people could I mean not in these torrential rains we've had in the last two weeks but it would be nice if people could actually get in a quarter of a mile or, or or a half a mile walk to a bus station to tell you the truth it'd be better for us physically right but what we know is that people don't necessarily relate to that. And so you really have to figure out a way in which to get them in the last mile. And that might be, uh, you know, modern cities, this, large cities in the world have used jitney type services, for example. Um, that's sort of the concept behind the st streetcar in Santa Ana. And also Anaheim has a, a connector that it is working on. Certainly Anaheim has a connector now that just goes around all the Disneyland hotels and moves all the workers. And that's pretty important because that means they park out of the area and they just go around on a trolley, which allows them to... Um, to free up the congestion around Disneyland. I guess to really focus on that aspect of transportation because it's got huge uh, footprints in, in all respects here. And there's such a barrier to having people, constituents rethink how they're getting around. But I believe that that jitney was a an in the city of Irvine where the radio station is located and not, not necessarily the center of the universe for the third district. But the, I thought that the City Council in Irvine had contemplated a jitney plan, but when you don't have local leadership on the municipal level, then those things come to a grinding halt. So what would you, in that dynamic, as a board of supervisor in the 3rd District, get people on yeah. board to think more imaginatively, more progressively about trimming this carbon footprint of our transportation use? Yeah, you know, it's really sad to watch, you know, the, the entitlement of how you build what you build how you move people especially etc that that zoning and entitlement sits in the very local city councils and so you really need to have forward-looking people you need to have people who want to work with others um, and that's why I, I'm saying that um, the the, the uh, current city 
counsel some of the members are very litigious. They just want a lawsuit. They don't want to have to do what other people, what is good for the common good, for example. So some of those are are more difficult people to work with. But remember, remember that I am a Democrat who served for 20 years in the Congress and 16 years of those was controlled by the Republicans. And I got all the stuff for Orange County when our own Republicans didn't. And the reason was that I know how to work with people. I know where the money is. I know how to bring back the money. And one of the solutions to some of the issues that we have here is that you have to have someone in the Board of Supervisors who can go to Sacramento politicians and can go to the federal politicians and say, we need to work together and we need more money to get this particular piece done. And the others who are running in this election just don't know how to do that. So there's another kind of a matter of efficiencies so the efficiency in government, do you think, what would you focus on in your four or possibly your eight-year term as, uh, for example, Sean Nelson in his previous capacity on the Board of Supervisors was trying to get efficiency of those unincorporated pockets that were being served by the, the public security of the unincorporated, the, the sheriff's office. So how are you looking at opportunities for efficiencies of delivering public services? security included well you know certainly we have a we have a really good uh, uh, deputy sheriff's department we have a good law enforcement department um, and they are I have to tell you they are some of the uh, most um, efficient arenas uh, when you look up and down the state of California for a deputy sheriff so uh, in, in some ways Orange County can be proud of that one of the problems that we have had quite frankly, with respect to our law enforcement out there and how you police, et cetera, is, uh, are several issues. The first is a distrust, a distrust by the public on our law enforcement. Why? In particular for Orange County, it's because of all this snitches stuff going on in the jails and everything. Nobody knows what really happened. We really have to dig into that and and get that put aside so that we can begin to rebuild the trust between the public and our law enforcement. The second issue that we haven't done in a long time, and we did it and we saw really low crime rates in the late 1990s when President Clinton um, put into effect the COPS program. And he said, we are going to do community policing. That is that the officer will be assigned a community and he'll do almost like a walk around. You know, he will be known by the people in the neighborhood. They will come and talk to him. He will have real open exposure to what's going on in neighborhoods. That really, and we've, we've gone away from that. We've gone from community oriented policing in our communities. So I'm, I'm concerned about the efficiencies though of uh -huh. these small unincorporated pockets that are throughout out the county where the, there's a fiscal drain in serving those pockets and where maybe you could talk to where there this community policing that there is more collaboration or there, there's some consolidation that goes on in the policing because that's a very expensive it's a labor-intensive budget line item there's a lot of there can be a lot there could be memorandums of understanding just like we have what most people don't know in Orange County is we have what we call the uh, mutually beneficial agreement, MOU, between our law enforcement and between all of our homeland, what I would call our first responder situations. What does that mean? That means that if something is taking place, let's say, in uh, Irvine, and there are not enough resources 
um, to take care of the problem in Irvine. Uh, they get sent dispatched from the, the Santa Ana Police Department or the Anaheim Police Department, come over and help with the situation. In the same way you see, for example, when we have a fire going on and there's not enough firefighters just from the county to go and take care of it. Then you pull from Anaheim. You have this mutual beneficial MOU going on. We can do that for all policing, um, not just when there's some really big issue going on. Okay. We'll leave that there, and I'd like to find out another incendiary topic in politics locally is the Veterans Cemetery. <laughs> the Veterans Cemetery. So there, there's some piecemeal, and there's some comprehensive approaches. There's already funded Plan A. There's not funded Plan B. There's so, there's so many moving targets. You're, you land your helicopter in the middle of this, Mela, but you've been watching it for years, I can imagine. I've been helping with it for how years. Do you, how are you going to resolve this? So here's the situation. First of all, please know that we have not been able to secure the funds and the, and the notation required from the federal level for a real federal uh, cemetery. What does that mean? We're in line. It could happen. Uh, I left before I was able to finish that, although I was working on it. Uh, quite frankly, Mimi Walters took up the, the mantle on that. She was not able to get it done. Um, but what does this mean? It means right now for a federal cemetery, we're really down on the list. I mean, it will be at least 90 years, most likely, before the feds put any money into doing a cemetery. I'm, I'm telling you. Of the, any location. Uh, at any location. I'm telling the practicality. 90 years. That's, okay, that's a first. <laughs> okay. I, I, it's a long way out as far as I can see it. Okay. It's, they'll tell you maybe it'll be 30 years. But, you know, the reality is the funds don't come so fast to this from the federal government. Now, Sharon Quirk Silva, an assemblywoman from the Fullerton area, was able to secure through a deal with Governor Brown, I think almost $30 million. So it's state money that's of in state play money, okay? for the Plan A. But unfortunately, because we have had this dithering going on and this fight about where we're going to put this thing, we are at risk of losing those funds. I mean, Sharon's been very on top of this issue, trying to hold on to the funds. But if you're going to be fighting, then the Sacramento is going to move on and they're going to move those funds someplace else. So this becomes a very precarious situation. So, so what do I, you do in this? Yeah. So, so uh, you know, when I was the congresswoman, the veterans would meet in my office every week. And it came down to this because I would hear them all the time. They would be discussing it. They don't care if it's in the strawberry field. They don't care if it's in the legacy area. They actually, now that Todd Spitzer left um, entitled a piece out there in Gibson Canyon in Anaheim, they don't care if it's there. They just want one in Orange County, right? They want it, and they want it funded. They want it funded because they want it as soon as possible, right? So the veterans, I think, except for a few who are talking, you know, out there, for whatever reason, most of the veterans just keep saying, Loretta, let's get it done, and let's get it done in Orange County. Now, Todd Spitzer, before he left, his parting gift, if you will, was to set aside some lands out there in Gypsum Canyon in Anaheim off of the freeway. The veterans have no problem with that. So it comes down to this. Irvine is sort of almost a 50-50 split among its constituency about whether to have it at Legacy or about whether to put it at this. You know, everybody's angry about their... Should it be in, does it need to be in Irvine? Maybe it can be in Anaheim. Do you see what I'm saying? 
Well, there's more involved in that with just sort of the beneficiaries of whether of which site would be used for eventual other land use adjustments. So that's well, it's, it's that's the flip that's, side. That, that's where, yeah. But let's say, but I'm looking at it from the veteran standpoint, right? From the veteran standpoint, if we can get it funded and we can use the money from the the state level, they have already said to me, Loretta Anaheim would be fine for us. The flip side is the development side of what happens to these other sites, right? Yeah, and we particular- don't know how much the development side is, is flipping the veterans, too. I mean, I, I don't think that's an, I think that's a, a very fraught kind of background story. And I'm, it's a very interesting, so, I know the background stories of that. We don't have time to go into that here. In due time. Have, it is a very interesting, it's a very interesting fight going on by developers. So speaking of, that's our segue to what, our last question as we draw down the interview here is, what PACs are supporting your campaign for the Orange County Board of Supervisors 3rd District's PAC Okay, election? what PACs? So the Orange County Employees Association want to see somebody who cares about people. Uh, I I carry the Orange County Labor Federation endorsement. So your electricians and your plumbers, uh, your hotel workers, your janitors are supporting me because they know I care about working people, especially on these issues of mental health and the health care for the low and um, underpaid people of our county. Um, Is Five Point Communities contributing? No, no. Five Point they're is not. not giving to me. Or no. Star. Neither is Irvine Company. Okay. The developers aren't they're giving not. to me. No. No, I, I'm not. And they know that. I'm, I'm going to do what I think is right for the people of the county. I am not going to um, get paid by somebody to do their bidding. I've never done that. I've not done that in the Congress in 20 years. And I, because of that, I have made some people who don't like me because I will not play that game. If it's right for our communities, then that's where I'll be. So no, the developers aren't, are, I'm not in the pockets of the developers in this race. I said that was the last question, but I have to get one more sort of uh, collaborative opportunity question, and that'll be the last one is, how do you see yourself working with the Lisa Bartlett's and with her district, that, which I makes the I think we'll rath- work very well together. So that would amass the l- two largest land areas of the Orange County. You know, Lisa said to me recently, she said, every time I went back to your office in Washington, D.C., Loretta, I remember you were all about the policy. She said, you never spoke politics. You never said, oh, you're a Republican. I won't meet with you. She said to me, you know what? You always were, you always had your facts in line. You were always open to listen. And so I believe that she and I can work together. For example, I know that Doug Chafee and I can work together because he's endorsed. So I, I think I bring a, a broader coalition of people than most people realize. Uh, the environmentalists, the working class, um, some of the people who do have uh, possibly work before the county. I, I, I'm not really sure because I don't sit around and saying, oh, I got to call the developers now. I got to call this guy who's building this with county funds. I, I get funded, quite frankly, from people who just through the years have been friends, who know my integrity, and many of them who don't, they don't have a contract at the county level. So maybe we can see the two of you advancing the community choice energy and climate action. The two of you could jump on that. If you've been working together. I think that we could work together on many fronts. Well, former Congresswoman Loretta Sanchez, it's been a real pleasure. 
talking this local government as granular as we could get in this short of a Isn't time. Isn't it fun? Thank you. My guest was Loretta Sanchez, former congresswoman representing the Orange County 46, mainly the 47th district, now seeking election to the recently vacated 3rd district of the Orange County Board of Supervisors. March 12 is the date. Stay tuned for more details on KUSI. Thanks Please again. Please vote. Please vote. We'll be right back with Kathy Orlinski and Dana Leslie about 2019, the tipping point for climate action. Stay tuned. Thanks for staying tuned. That was Grace Kelly, her fish and chips. She was here at the Barclay. I hope everybody had a chance to hear her then or on Hobart's Crystal Lake Thursday, 6 to 8 p.m. Welcome back to the show. My next guests are Kathy Orlinski and Dana Leslie. They have jobs to do at the end of the month at the Citizens Climate Lobby Conference. It's going to be staged, presented at Cal State Los Angeles, and that'll be February 23rd to 24th. It's their regional conference, and Kathy's been here to talk about it before, and she's in a similar capacity, one of the main organizers. So let's go into introducing both of them. Dana Leslie, who will be the MC, has been a member of Citizens Climate Lobby for almost two years and is a member of the Orange County Central Chapter. She worked in the food industry, developing and testing new products for nearly 40 years before retiring and moving on to the challenges of convincing others that climate change is real and is urgent. Dana attended Wichman College in Washington and finished her degree in nutrition and food science at the University of Washington. Kathy Orlinski, my other guest, has been on a handful of times. and She completed her PhD in microbiology and molecular genetics at UCI. After launching her daughter off to college, Kathy's been devoting her attention to volunteering. Her major top causes are getting money out of politics, climate change, between which she seeks a close relationship. She joined Citizens Climate Lobby December 2015 and is the co-founder of the Orange County Central Chapter, which meets every month in Mission Viejo. She's the Southern California Coordinator for Citizens Climate Lobby and the chairperson for the regional conference, as I mentioned earlier. Both Kathy and Dana join me in studio. Welcome to Ask a Leader, ladies. Thank you. So good to be here. Hi, this is Kathy. Hi, this is Dana Leslie. Okay, fine. So let's start with the the midterm elections, just to find out how much of the activation in that midterm election process and campaigning, how did that sort of affect your membership with Citizens Climate Lobby? Our membership has definitely spiked. Um, We have a weekly introductory call where anyone who's new or just wants to learn about us can come and uh, find out what Citizens Climate Lobby is about. And we used to get a handful of people every week. And lately, we've been getting like 100 people on those calls. So anecdotally, you know, we know that our membership has gone way up. In California, where we're more familiar, our membership has gone way up as well. So interest in these topics has definitely spiked uh, since the election and in the lead up to the election. Okay. Right now, we're starting the 119th Congressional Legislative Session. So you have, you're in a position 
where the climate caucus has to be reconfigured. When you lose a member of the climate caucus, they have to be paired with a member of the other party to be in the caucus. It's the Noah's Ark, as Mark Tabbert and Kathy always tell us. So what is going on with getting that climate caucus? Is it going to be, are there more tailwinds or more headwinds with the composition currently and with the sort of, let's say, the kind of political feeling in the, the dome air? Well, um, I can say that as far as the caucus, uh, there may be new rules with this new Congress. Um, that's going to be up to the leadership of the caucus going in there. And, you know, there's that's still something that people are interested in and in joining. But actually, what we're even more interested in is the fact that we actually have an effective bipartisan climate bill introduced in the House right now. And it's been gaining co-sponsors every week. So it started uh, just a couple of weeks ago. It was, it, it was introduced, um, H.R. 763, the uh, Energy Innovation and Carbon Dividend Act. And it, it, just in those few weeks, it's gained several co-sponsors. This week, it gained two more. So, you know, the, the point of what we're trying to do, Citizens Climate Lobby, is to pass meaningful climate legislation. And this is a bill that's effective and good for people, good for the economy. We're, we're super excited about it. All right. So then the, as far as the caucus goes, are you do you feel like there's more tailwinds to getting members on board with joining the climate caucus? Um, I don't know if I can speak to that. Uh, we we haven't heard of more people joining it since the election, but our focus has been largely on our bill. And, you know, we have been getting more co-sponsors for that. Okay. You know, I'm just, I thought of a terrible pun right now that there's perhaps more peer pressure and the peer pressure would be both P-double-E-R, P-I-E-R with, <laughs> with the right. sea level rise. So yes. the peer pressure <laughs> of, of certainly applied here. So let's then move on into what will be taking place at this climate forum on February 23rd and 24th. It'll start that Saturday morning bright and early at Los Angeles campus. What Tell us a bit about the themes that you're trying to strike, and we'll talk also about the kinds of, you know, there's the seasoned veterans that you you have material for, as well as sort of the uninitiated. Right, right. Well, at our conferences, we always like to bring a mix of inspiring people and educating people. And I think we have a good lineup to do both. Our theme, as you mentioned, I think earlier, is 2019 Um uh Tipping point. Tip, the tipping point for climate action. Thank you, Dana. Um, and the reason we chose that theme was because of our bill. Right now, if if we get this if we get this bill passed this year, then it will reduce emissions by forty percent in just the t- first twelve years, and that's with you know current estimates. You know that doesn't account for any innovations that may come our way that we're not even aware of yet as as we move into a clean energy economy. So uh, so that was the point of choosing that theme. You know, we're really looking forward to making something meaningful happen this year. Uh, we also, of course, want to inspire and educate. We're having both of our vice presidents of CCL, either in person or uh, via Internet, to talk what you have to do, that's that's demonstrating the point about lowering your carbon footprint. The more remote kinds of appearances activists can make, you're you're nodding to the importance of shrinking the carbon footprint, right. traveling around being there. So that's that's very symbolic that some of them are not are purposefully likely 
right. are not going to be there, Yes, but on the screen, remotely. Exactly, exactly. And they're going to talk a lot about not just the deep dive into the bill and explaining exactly what it means and answering questions, but also what we can all do to help it pass. You know, what kind of act- actions we can all do to take one more step to uh, work on climate issues and get and get over the finish line. For those of you who've just joined us, my guests are Kathy Orlinski, conference organizer, and Dana Leslie, conference MC for the February 23rd, 24th Cal State Los Angeles Citizens Climate Lobby Southern Regional Get Together entitled 2019, The Tipping Point for Climate Action. Well, there is there are more guests than there is time to cover all of them. So we can highlight some of the guests that are presenting that are bringing some sizzle and a lot of substance. So how about let's start with Fran Pavley, who's been very involved in legislating environmental policy from the local government level to the state level. Right, right. So this is Dana, and I was kind of charged to getting one of the major speakers, and I researched that, and I just thought Fran Pavley was a perfect choice. She has, um, her bio is she spent 29 years as an elected office, born and raised in Los Angeles. She was elected the first mayor of the Ogura Hills in 1982, served 14 years in the South California Assembly and State uh, Senate. Um, she, she, for, she authored the landmark climate policies that have created a market for innovation and investment in clean energy and vehicles, which have helped clean our air and grow the economy, reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And as chair of the Senate's Natural Resources and Water Committee, she was able to pass the state's first Sustainable Groundwater Management Act. She promotes policies to protect our ocean and watersheds and adopt measures to create more sustainable local water supplies. She is currently the Environmental Policy Director for USC Schwarzenegger Institute, and serves on several state and local advisory boards and committees. She's been active for many, many years, and she one of the reasons I thought she would be a great pick is she, she all of her life she has been uh, championing bipartisan support. So when I asked her, I told her to talk a little bit about her legislative work, which she will do, and her background, and I wanted her to talk about her bipartisan support. She's, she's passionate about making sure that you get many people on board with what you're proposing to, um, to her legislation. Um, and then she's a passion for her too is to increase ed- basically what the CCL group does. Citizens Climate Lobby advocates education and health concerns, and she wants to improve job creation um, and, and greenhouse gas emissions. So she she's going to talk about all these things, and she's done a lot of speaking along that line. We're in our group. We very much want to increase the diversity in our in our group as well as uh, ch- champion legislation and have people basically volunteer for things and help convince their their legislators uh, to support some of these things, whether you know you're on board or not, but just to basically support the various legislative opportunities to uh, lower emissions. So I'm just curious, what do you think would be the most essential message? What What is it that you would love to have her roll out to a revelation for all these activists that are chomping on the bit to, you know, break more ground with this partisan, this orthodoxy of denial and acceptance and that kind of a thing. How does Fran Pavley nail it for you in her in this form that you're presenting? Well, Kathy, you can speak to it. I'll just quickly say I think she just wants to increase 
the opportunities and likelihood that bipartisan support is the way to go. Because really, if you have this contentious environment that we do right now in our on our political back uh, horizon, it's not going to get us very far. So you need to basically as, as um, just reach across the aisle and simply uh, simply say this is the only way we're going to get things approved. Is this simply bring whether it's Republicans versus Democrats or um, or environmental uh, controls versus environmental policies. You just need to say we need everybody working together, and everybody can win if our if our. I uh, think we know that. I think there's a secret sauce here about you know what because like at the forum for the academy and the public last week, there was a climate scientist from Montana, and she says she doesn't say climate change. She says when she goes to talk to her farmers in Montana, she talks about changing climate. That's all she does differently. Mm-hmm. So maybe Kathy, you you got that message too. Yeah. But so I don't know if there's something Fran says that Ms. Pavley to me that is, you know, like a big leap into how this whole partisan thing is a, a whole new approach to that. Yeah, and I I would just second exactly what Dana said, and I think you know to me Fran uh, Pavley is an example of how you can get things done and how there is hope and we can work together and she was able to work together to pass legislation and we can do that now and she's been doing it for so many years she kind of started as vet grassroots she taught she um she was kind of grassroots up through the california system right now she's kind of she's been leapfrogged into national um highlight and i just think grassroots support is a a brilliant way to go whether she's going to talk about that i don't know but please come february 23rd and 24th and we'll let you know (laughs) so also, in terms of policy, is Shane Skelton. He's a former policy advisor to U.S. Congressional Spe- House Speaker Paul Ryan. So what, what do we need to know? What's, what kind of water has he been carrying for climate change acceptance? Well, uh, Shane Skelton, I'm super excited about having him come and speak. You know, as you, I'm sure, are familiar from uh, uh, Citizens Climate Lobby is strictly nonpartisan. We work really hard to bring in people from all different uh, walks of life, different uh, viewpoints, um, and all, a, a large different group of people. And we definitely have a large number of of conservatives who agree on climate and we want to represent their views. We want to bring in people from both sides of the aisle who do care about climate. You know, our bill, um, the Energy Innovation and Carbon Dividend Act is bipartisan. It was introduced last uh, session by both Republicans and and Democrats. This time we also have, it's also bipartisan. We have a Republican co-sponsor. So we're always looking for voices from other underrepresented communities amongst our own group. And uh, Shane Skelton was recommended to me as somebody who might be interested. And I contacted him and I did a little research on him as well. Um, He actually participates in a podcast called Political Climate, um, which is fantastic. I recommend everyone listen to it. The last episode, I think, was in December, and they on that episode, they promised many times that they were going to start in a, their, their next season. So, Well, he can uh, actually pipe br- in something from the conference. I, I hope they will do another season. But basically, the format is um, him representing a conservative viewpoint and former, uh, I think, o- Obama uh, advisor, who is the Democratic viewpoint, and they both care about climate, and they both want to get things done. They come from at it from slightly different angles and different approaches, 
But, you know, he's very clear. He said he be- he would love to get to 100 percent renewable. The question is, you know, what is the method of getting there? And and I think that's a debate worth having. And I look really look forward to hearing what he has to say. So he may be lifting a few uh, sound files around the conference for his <laughs> podcast. No, that's that would be a really good idea. Yeah, I don't I don't. We, we can we can help him do his job. That's, there you go. All right. And so we spoke a little bit uh, off mic here uh, prior to the show. Uh, the many sorts of levels of awareness and features that Mike Farrell can bring. And he's going to be uh, accompanied by George Shea, a playwright and environmental activist. So what are they going to bring for the after dinner speaking So um, on Saturday night? Yes, yes. The 23rd. This is another thing that we're excited about. So Mike Farrell, who many people may know from MASH and and various other things that he's been in since then, um, he performs in a one-man show called Dr. Keeling's Curve. Dr. Keeling was a scientist who uh, discovered the the increasing curve of carbon dioxide. Back in the 19th century. (laughs) Isn't that the one? So, uh, well, you, you can come and see the film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I will. I but will. He, he performs. He, he performs. And so we're going to show a screening of that film. Of that, There's, there's a, a screening of Dr. Keeling's Curve. And then it'll be followed by a little Q&A and panel discussion with George Shea, who was the writer of that production, and Mike Farrell, who, of course, is the actor in the production. So uh, we're going to have them up. They're, they'll make some comments and we'll take some questions from the audience as well. Okay, that that goes back to 1958. I was thinking of there there are other climate scientists that were bringing the stuff up in the 19th century, but that's he's yes. from the the late 50s. Okay, so let's talk about some other some other favorites that you want to bring to our attention. I mean, there's there's a lot of jobs that are going to get done, but as far as speakers, you want to say something, and then some of the jobs that get done at the conference. Um, well, uh, one of the speakers. There's a lot of, of different sessions and speakers I would I would love to highlight. Yes. Um, two in particular, uh, we're going to have a youth panel that's going to be on Saturday morning, and we've invited uh, youth activists, high school and college students who've been active in their communities in various ways. We have a member of Sunrise. Los Angeles, who's going to be part of that panel. We have a young high school student from Los Angeles who worked with her community to shut down an oil well in her community that was, um, you know, basically, you know, poisoning the, the air in her area. And leave it in the ground idea. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, so we're excited to hear what these young people are going to have to say. And you also mentioned that people not bows. That's that's the same that's young pose- woman. Okay. Yeah. That's her. That's a group that, that, she, that she started. Okay. And... Um, we have a UCI professor who's going to be one of our speakers, Dr. Kathleen Traceder. She's going to be speaking about community choice energy, which is a really exciting topic about how we can all control our the sources of our energy and move to renewable sources you know, and save money. And I want to mention, I'm, uh, I'm vowing, that is the return question, the standard question I'm going to be asking every Orange County 3rd District Board of Supervisor candidate how much they're involved with that community choice energy and the CACs and all that kind of a thing. So it's it's a perfect time to ask them while right. they're running for office. Yes. So Kathleen will be talking about that and she's everywhere all the time ever since politics became really essential to her. So here she is again, showing right. up. Yeah. Right. The other thing I just want to add is we have speakers, some of the main speakers who I will be introducing as MC, but we also have workshops, which are really very valuable. So we have some people who write letters uh, to the editor, and they're going to be talking about what they do and how they do it and how to be effective. 
Um, so there, it, it's a diversity in terms of the kinds of, the kinds of opportunities you can, you can join and, um, and workshops. So. Yeah, that's an excellent point because, you know, since our theme is to, you know, to the tipping point for climate action, we have workshops that are specifically designed to help people learn what they can do to be effective to pass this legislation, you know, and and one of the things is just to call your legislators, you know, or write your newspapers. Write your newspapers, newspapers. exactly. And that's a set, yeah. But the more people we can get involved, even in small ways, so we have a thing that we do at various opportunities is to um, basically, uh, there's tabling opportunities. So at VegFest or at any political group. Every other meeting on UCI's campus. Every other meeting. and there's Every a, candidate forum. What we do is we have people simply talking about the, our group, the Climate Change Lobby Group, and um, what they can do, even if it's just small baby steps to start with. And we can give them some information. Yeah. We can give them basically some mentoring, uh, how to get there. And then we hope to get more and more people involved in larger responsibilities. Well, ladies, I wish you both good luck. I'll put in the podcast summary, the Citizens Climate Lobby Southern California Conference tab for people so they can sign up because your registration goes right up until the the to that morning, but you want to get people signed up earlier so caterers know how many noses to exactly. be there. So it starts Saturday. February 23rd at 8 o'clock, and that Saturday goes till 9, and the Sunday program, 9 to, uh, in the morning to one thirty after lunch. Thanks, ladies, for taking the time to be on the show today. Thank you so Thank much you. for having us. Thank you so much. I'm going to just give a few announcements. On uh, tomorrow, Steve Allison is going to present uh, the climate change, uh, the very interdisciplinary talk he's giving at uh, along with UCI anthropologist Valerie Olson. The topic is increasing the relevance and social impacts of climate research at UCI's Newkirk Alumni Center. The details, uh, you can find it on UCI Newkirk Center for Science and Society. And one other forum, uh, it's going to be later, it's on February 22nd. Ellen Allen is the president founder of Reinventing Reentry. Ellen Allen will speak at the University Club February 22nd in the morning at UCI's University Club. This event is a simulation which allows each of us to personally engage in considering what constraints and limitations are placed on those seeking to re-enter society, including related to housing, food, transportation, employment, and more. Please call 949-824-2493 or go to the Law School's events calendar. That was my wrap. Next week... UCI urbanist Scott Bowens will return to the show to break down what's taking place around the Northern Ireland-Ireland border amidst the Brexit process. Then in the second segment, Irvine Mayor Donald Wagner will talk about his candidacy in the special election March 12th to fill the seat recently vacated on our Orange County Board of Supervisors 3rd District. We'll have a chance to hear all, at least, at least total, five of the seven candidates who filed. Talk with you next week. Thank you, everyone, for listening.